back everybody to those art teachers i'm your host corby and i'm here with my co-host caitlin and today we're gonna get into lesson planning we're gonna talk about what are our go-to's when we need some inspiration to create and craft lessons and potentially what has gotten us in the direction of using these resources. Corby, what inspires you for your lesson planning? My three go-tos when I'm looking for lesson plan inspiration are art museums. There's a whole bunch of resources, I think, that are untapped, that are already crafted, created by art educators, and they're linked to standards, cross-curriculum standards, fantastic resources. So I look up ideas from local art museums and then also nationwide, internationally, et cetera. Uh, I use the Art of Education a lot. Their podcast, also their website. They have a ton of free resources. I do not do the flex curriculum or the pay, any paid options. I just think that their free resources are fantastic for extended learning on specific topics, uh, content-wise, whether it's studying, let's say, Jamon Pottery, because I used that one this year, or you're looking at like Aboriginal art. Uh, so they have really great things for that. But then they also have a lot of great free skill builder resources. So you don't have to spend time making your own worksheets or content for kids to use. And my third one is my large umbrella of culturally responsive teaching. Essentially, my one of my biggest philosophies and ways that I curate the art room and curate lessons is by learning my students, knowing their interests, and trying to connect what their experiences are, what their customs are, their perspectives, and that is the theory of culturally responsive teaching. So I build a lot of lessons off of that philosophy for the students that I am working with and serving. So I like to think of it as a collaboration. That is wonderful. I love all of that. Do you have any specific art museums that you want to shout out that are like really great resources to look at for teachers? I absolutely do. Also, I think we should say jokingly, we love our fun sponsors, but in no way, shape or form are we actually getting sponsored for these podcasts or any of these things we're bringing up today. So these are truly options that we both are using out of the goodness of our heart. These are what work for me. I like to use local museums. So right now I look a lot at the Seattle Art Museum, the Tacoma Art Museum. I look at what exhibitions they have. And then if you type in, uh, teacher resources, they have lesson plans or ideas developed that connect with specific artwork in the galleries. I do know that because of the pandemic, there's a lot of more resources because so many people were teaching online, but people, these things existed before the pandemic. And I think because of my experience working in the art museum back in Kansas and having to come up with this content and researching it, it's such a great, it's just such a great resource. There's just so much that you can use that's already pre-crafted. And even if you're not using it exactly, it can give you an idea of how to connect your topic in your curriculum with some ideas of artwork 
that works for your students or artists that work for your students. Um, so my biggest thing is local. I, and that goes back to the culture responsive teaching because I want to connect, okay, what's in our area? What could kids, what could students be exposed to outside the classroom that's immediately around them? Um, one museum I will shout out that is fantastic, like a vault, <laughs> a vault of knowledge is the Philadelphia Museum of Art. That one's really, really great. They, they just do such a fantastic job. And I know that's the thing. I know there's other museums that are doing these things similarly, but that's a really big go-to of mine. They do such a great job of connecting and aligning the standards, not just for the art standards, but cross-curriculum. So social context, historical context, and they are really big on visual thinking strategies, which is also something I use a lot in the classroom. So a lot of their framework is not based on a right or wrong answer per se, but using studio habits of mind, using critical thinking to get students to think more in depth about how they're experiencing the artwork, what they feel when they look at it, what are they seeing, why would this be relevant for the artist to make? It, it is all higher learning, higher level thinking for sure. Uh, so the Philadelphia Museum of Art teacher resources that's a fantastic one that's awesome I did not know about that one and I love when they use those when you find real examples of how to implement and use the studio uh the studio habits of mind uh VTS visual thinking strategy and in like a real way that you can apply in your classroom and having that example for you might get you give you like other ideas for how to implement it in another lesson. So I love that resource. Yes, that that's exactly. So even though I haven't used, let's say some of the resources exactly how they're crafted, for example, I might switch out the artwork or I might switch out, okay, we're not talking about this um, cultural movement right now, but I can swap in mine. It still gives you such a good framework of questions to pose or ideas a variety of ideas too that might work for your different classes or groups of students uh, so I like that it's it's just really it leaves it open for that interchangeability of what works for you and your classroom for sure and because we don't have we talk about this a lot we don't have a set book or curriculum that's just handed to us with a script and that uh, resource and again not just the Philadelphia Museum of Art these are just a few but a lot of art museums do have that where they are suggesting okay like frame it this way and then let's ask the questions this way give students time to respond by making a poem or writing or they just have such really neat ideas that you can just interchange for all of what you're doing in the classroom yeah that's something that if our listeners are not art teachers that's something that <clears throat> they might not know about um most art teachers do not have a set curriculum um, in place like a scope and sequence of this is what I need to teach when I need to teach it and there's a script here for me to read and these are all the resources that are provided for me and no most art teachers do not have that um, that I know, I don't know if there are some, you know, schools that might, but if anything, they might provide some curriculum books that are an option, but a lot of them are outdated or, um, not culturally like relevant to our 
populations that we're teaching. So that is why we're talking about these resources in the first place and why we've had to go out and find all of these resources um, to develop our own curriculums from scratch. And it's, it takes, it's very time consuming to do that. It's a lot of work. And so all of these resources are just helping us craft our curriculum and save us time in places when we really need it. So is that kind of what you're thinking as well? Yeah, you summed it up really well. And I think that's why I love the art museums as a resource, because it's such a good thing to have in your back pocket. We do spend so much time crafting our own content, which is great, but it's okay to look to other resources. It's okay to use other things and then tweak it or redesign it so that it fits your students. And there's something that's so creative in that situation that takes a lot of work too. Yeah, because you have to vet the resources, first of all. Like we're going out and finding these resources. We have to vet them, make sure that not only are they developmentally appropriate for the ages that we're teaching, um, the content is accurate and true, um, you know, research-based. All of that is important as an educator to make sure that you're providing good, accurate information and resources for our students. And that takes time. Um, but then also thinking about, okay, how can we apply this to our content standards that we're trying to meet or this lesson that I'm creating, or how can I take this and take this other resource and put them together? And there is like a, it's almost like a mind collage of like creating lesson plans as art teachers. So um, yeah, I definitely think it's, it is, there's like a creative process that goes on there as well. Art of Ed is a really great resource that I like as well. There's a lot in the free side as well, like you said, and I use those as well. There's um there's a ton there. And then culturally responsive teaching. Did you have any like specific uh that anything specific you wanted to say about that? Like a resource? Cause I know that's a huge topic, but yeah. is there is there like a resource specifically that you besides, you know, your students? Yeah. And I'm just shaking my head for the listeners. Uh, that one is such a big topic. I don't have a personal resource that I tap into for that. A lot of my experience with that theory came from a lot of the research I did during my master's. For one of my large resource papers, I just saved a bunch of the studies, took a lot of notes, and it's just more of the philosophy um, I think that is something that we could put on our to-do list as something to find something that I would be curious to of the theories or what's any relevant, I guess, research now. The last study that I read was back in 2011. Um, but for those that don't, I guess, know about it, I guess I can just talk a little bit more of the theory. It's just knowing your students, knowing your demographic, what are, what are their backgrounds economically? What are their lives like at home? Um, what are they, what are they interested in socially? How do they spend their time on the weekends? Uh, what's their environment like, not only at school, but also their immediate surrounding area? Like, are they commuting? Are they taking buses far away from school? Are they living in a different location or do they live close to the school? Um, it's just the theory that 
knowing the perspectives of your students and experiences influences the way just, I mean, as all of us as humans, influences the way that we interpret the world and how we learn. And it's the idea that connecting your curriculum and your content to the things that they're experiencing or that they're going to connect with is going to ignite those um, those levels of learning a lot quicker and they're going to be more engaged with the topic at hand. So like one example in a pre-service study that I used for my research was a teacher in New York and this was actually for a science classroom even though you know we're art teachers but this was for a science classroom and this pre-service teacher was teaching um, pollution they're in New York. And so for her students, she connected after they did their unit on pollution, she had them research, okay, where are the, where are the areas that the most pollution is being produced in New York? And then find your zip code on the map and how close are you to these areas that produce the most pollution? And let's look at the asthma rates and how many people in New York have asthma and, and live close to these areas. So they're connecting with their local environment in a way that gives them a bigger picture understanding and investment in their experience and it's not just okay we live in New York and we're talking about California all the way over here and like why should I care about California just it's that's so distanced when we can look at what's affecting our um, immediate surroundings and how can we basically like start with that immediate connection to then be able to build out you start close to you at, at your home base and then once you make those connections and you can also start building connections and empathizing and looking outside of that lens. Um, yeah, I think that's a really good uh, summary of an and example of culturally responsive teaching pedagogy. And um, in my recent studies as well, I came across a resource that I um, really enjoyed reading her work and finding out more about this topic from her. And her name is Joni Acuff, and she is an associate professor of art administration, education, and policy at Ohio State University. So she's a so she's in art education at the collegiate level, and her work really centers on um, multiculturalism. Uh, culturally responsive teaching pedagogy and how to do that in the art room, which I think is really specific to us and interesting and anti-racist art teaching, that whole gamut of uh, this kind of way to go about like a lens to look about a lens to look at art education through. So I really have enjoyed reading her works. Um, she has quite a bit built up over the just the last 10 years. And something else I found when I was doing research on this was called the Culturally Responsive Teaching Scorecard, I think is what it was called. That's neat. I was here. Let me see if I can look at the really card really fast. Okay, so this resource is from the Anti-Racist Art Teachers website, which is another good resource on this topic, but it's called the Culturally Responsive Curriculum Scorecard for Visual Arts. 
And it's really cool because you can go through there in any of your lessons that you're creating, your units, your resources, you can look through the scorecard to kind of check yourself. Like, is there representation there? Am I representing, like, are we, am I thinking about my students? Am I thinking about the demographic that I'm teaching? And that is so powerful if you can do that over and over and you can, and you make it part of your routine and your practice and it becomes just then hopefully becomes second nature to, to do it that way. But the scorecard kind of is a nice little reality check to take with you. And you look through what you've been teaching and you can kind of see, oh, I'm really missing this piece here, or I'm teaching a lot of dead white guys or, you know, whatever, whatever it is. Yeah. So I, I really it. like that resource. Yeah. Cause I, I, think checking that is so nice to hold ourselves accountable because a big part of culture responsive teaching too is not only knowing about your students it's also knowing about yourself and knowing about your biases and where do you need to improve and are you effectively making adjustments and how are you truly being responsive it's it's a continual process and that scorecard sounds like a great way especially for visual learners hello uh to keep track that's a great reflection tool I love that I'm so excited I'm gonna start using that (laughs) it was developed in New York um by a group of by a group of people that were working on culturally responsive teaching for um in ELA because of the books that teachers were having students read and or not having them read and it was developed to help ELA teachers with um, their choices of like authors and and stories that are represented in their classrooms. And then the anti-racist art teachers took that resource and made one for art education. So I think that's awesome. I love that. Shout out New York, doing what you do. Love New York. <laughs> anybody who knows me outside of this knows that so that's I'm like mm, yes New York get it that's that's awesome I I'm so excited about this card and starting to use it yeah and this is fairly recent too I mean this I think was de- developed in like 2018 or 2019 so like we were already teaching when this was developed so I think that's really cool and what I want to get to towards the end of this is basically also about how we are never stop like we never stop looking for resources and we want to continue doing that because new things are developed all the time and and it's if you stop it's like you just get stuck you know yeah Um, I was gonna say yours I know we've been having this dialogue are yours any different because we have so much that we've matched where I'm like wait have we talked about yours yet, Caitlin? Or are, did we come up with similar topics even though we haven't prior talked about this prior? No, I was just responding to yours, but oh. I do use similar. I, I mean, I do use all of those as well. And those were really, um, I like how you summed all of those up. And um, there's one, another museum, speaking of art museums, I would add to that would be, well, there's lots, but the Tate. I was going to shout them out too. Tate Kids is a great, I even use that for middle school sometimes. That's a great resource. 
Yeah, Tate, um, it's in the United Kingdom and I found it during the pandemic as a really great online resource for my students and my students really love it too. And so there's a lot on there to do, not only like Tate Paint, which is a drawing program, but also they have a whole art history exploration um, page. Uh, it's kind of almost like a game. And yeah, there's a lot on there. I also find resources on there and like specific paintings or pieces of artwork. And then they have like the language, they they talk about it in like a kid-friendly language. So I really like that. I would say a few of my resources that we did not mention. Um, well, one is my students, which is basically like saying culturally responsive teaching, right? Yeah. My oh, look at us. Hair I flip, know. Hair flip. What up? My students are a great resource. And I think sometimes we almost forget that they can be a resource for us. I find I learn things from my students all the time. I, if you're watching, if you're listening, you know, they, we have a lot to learn from our students and, um, they've shown me, well, like, I think I told you about Blook It, the, um, online, it's like an online, Kahoot. it's like Kahoot. Thank you. But more like, intense. <laughs> yeah. It's like Kahoot more gamified and it's really cool. You can customize them. And my students are obsessed with Blook It. And I started doing that as a way to assess um, and also just kind of drive in some points for them. So they love Blook It. And they're the ones that showed me that. So I was like, okay, I'll take a, they asked me, can we play Blook It? And I was like, well, let me, I didn't just say no, or what, you know, I was like, well, let me look into that. And I looked into it and I thought, well, this really is educational. They must've heard it from another teacher. So, um, I started using book it and they like it better than Kahoot. I do too. Yeah. It's just so exciting. And I love the themes. I do love that it's gamified. I love the themes and my kids like that too. Like they, they get excited about Kahoot but then they beg me to play Blook It over Kahoot. And I think part of it is because they have more autonomy in Blook It because they get to really be in charge of their own. Yeah. Routine. Like they get to answer the questions. They don't have to wait on the class. They, it's just like, they get to go on th at their own pace. So I think they, that's why maybe part of it. Also, it looks cooler. Um. So my students have taught me a lot of things and I just try to listen to them about, and you know, I have to sort through some things, but listen to them about what they're into. And I can learn a lot that way and find resources that, or build lessons that they actually want to engage in and that are, you know, interesting and fun for them. So, and I'm just trying to do that more and more. At the beginning of my teaching career, I was very much like, oh, what do I want to do? And over the past four years, I've learned it's not about me. It's about what do my students want to learn? What what do what are they into individually too? Because it's also kind of easy to like generalize and be like, oh, they all like this. But it's really nice to figure out individually what people like and then try to use my knowledge to facilitate lessons to help them in their learning instead of what is it a lesson that I like 
Um, which can be hard because you have to kind of, you have to challenge your own ego there and your pride and kind of be like, all right, this isn't about me. I don't remember who told me this, if it was in a PD or if it was my teaching mentor, but the quote that stuck with me that your description of listening to our students, what it reminded me of was quote, when a behavior is exerted, what are the students trying to tell you, unquote. So that could mean so many different things, but if they're showing that they're not interested in the drawing pencils and they're playing with their needed eraser, like it's clay, what is that showing? What is that telling you? Or if it's an outburst in the classroom, what what is that demonstrating? What is that telling you? So I think using your students as a guide to how you're teaching, what we're planning, I do think that that's just so important because all of our behaviors as human humans are showcasing what we're interested in or what we want or what are our needs. So I think that's so important. And they might not always tell you verbally, especially our mm-hmm. my younger kids. I'm you know teaching elementary, and they might not either have the words, know the words, be able to express the words verbally. Um, because they don't understand maybe why they're not interested or why, you know, they're feeling the way they are. So it's our job as educators to, it's like, we have to translate that from reading their body language, um, and their behaviors and translating that to, okay, what are they telling me that they need? And I love that quote, Corby, that you said, because that's exactly how I feel about that. And I'm, working on it. When I say all of this, I'm, I'm saying it from a lens of like, I'm not a perfect teacher. I started out, like I already said, I started out, you know, with all of these ideas of what I wanted to do. And I've had to work and I've realized these things along the way. So it's a work in process, you know, work in progress. I think that's something super important to note and highlight we're not all the way at the finish line yet. We, when I say we as in Caitlin and I, I'm pointing back and forth to her. We talk about that so much and we know that about each other, but I think it's important to share to our listeners. That's also one of the reasons why we're doing this is because we know we want to keep growing. We want to keep learning. It's been a journey and we know the journey's not done. So we're by no means saying, oh, we figured it out exactly. This is just where we are in our journey. And I hope people listen and take that to to heart like everybody is going to be on that page we're all learning we're all growing I hope no one's listening to this as an ultimatum or thinking like oh my gosh they have like no we don't have everything figured out that's not how life works (laughs) definitely not and the journey like you're saying is it's different for everyone and it's also it's not easy and I think that's one of the reasons why we wanted to do this podcast because I know when we were starting out teaching. Um, it, I was definitely looking for all sorts of help and resources and ideas because I felt like I was drowning. I was like, this is insane. This job is insane. I have to build my own curriculum from scratch. Like, where do I even start with lesson planning? Where do we start? And I've seen on the Facebook groups for elementary art teachers, Facebook group, by the way, that's another resource. True, true. Shout out. I mean, it is a great thing. Join your age group. There's a lot of things that people share free. And the art teacher community, I will say, is glorious. Thank you, all fellow art teachers, for just openly sharing 
out of the goodness of your hearts. Like that is just amazing. I, I can't thank everybody enough. I use that also so much. Yeah. And there's, there's all sorts of different, that's called a professional learning community, but yeah, basically it's basically a Facebook group. Um, (laughs) and there's all sorts of different groups. There's one for teaching for artistic behaviors or there's lots of them, but there's middle school art teacher, there's elementary art teacher. Um, there's all sorts of different Facebook groups. So just maybe look around if you're looking for resources on Facebook and try to find, and you might have to like apply, but it's really easy. You can just say like, answer the questions and get in. And then, uh, you can hit the search bar when, once you're in a Facebook group, if you type in the search bar, a keyword that you're looking for, like maybe you want, you're looking for a lesson on color or on, the studio habits of mind or on gamification or whatever, like type it in. And then you can look through all of the posts that people have, you know, the history of what people have posted there um, over time. And that's so helpful. I do that all the time before I pose a new question, because a lot of people will post the same question like over and over. And that's what I was getting to is a lot of people post on there and say, where do I even start with lesson planning? Where do yes. I, how do I build up my curriculum? And I'm like, oh, oh, oh girl. Oh, girl. Cause it's, it is so much. And it, I see those it posts is. all the time and I feel in my gut, it, it hurts my heart so much because there isn't just one answer of where to start. It really does start with looking at your student demographic, looking at your environment. Do you have a curriculum? Do you have to write it yourself? And you have to answer some of those questions. You need to answer some of those questions. Maybe not 100%, but only like 80% to know where you're going to guide yourself. Because stress posting, oh, just took a new job. I'm starting. What do I do? I feel for that. It's stressful. But there's just so many background questions that I need to know before I can assist you in figuring out where you need to start. I guess that's the way I look at it. It's like a diet. I think of it as I approach it as the same way I approach my students. Okay. I hear you. I hear your concerns. They're valid. I need more information before I know where to start and assist you because it's going to look different for you, your personality, your age group. I mean, there's just so many factors. Today's sponsor, salad dressing, because You need to coat your veggies in something more tolerable. Drench your rabbit food in something more enjoyable. Salad dressing. The other day, Patrick ordered a salad, which like shocked all of us. It was like a chicken salad. And then he, and we decided, okay, well, we'll split that, right? I was like, okay, I'll have some. So shocked. Literally the, the everyone, their mouths just dropped open when he ordered a salad. He had never does that. And when it arrived, he proceeded to pour like the entire bottle of ranch all over it. And I tried to eat it and I like physically couldn't because it was so covered in ranch. I was like, that's not even a salad anymore. That's just ranch with a little bit of like lettuce, something crunchy underneath. Like you couldn't even see the lettuce. For people who don't know, Caitlin's husband is on a strict diet of meat, cheese, and what am I forgetting? Mountain Dew. Mountain Dew, exclusively, by choice, because it fuels 
his life so the fact that he ordered a salad that's why it's so shocking like he really sticks to his meat and cheese and Mountain Dew food groups yeah yeah it's Mountain Dew Dew food group now (laughs) I mean so much so that that's what I wrote in my maid of honor speech for you guys so it's a thing that is true (laughs) and his and his uh uh, best man brought Chipotle yeah like a bowl of Chipotle like double steak extra cheese warmed it up for him and gave it to him while he was giving the best man speech because that's how much Patrick loves meat and cheese yeah it has rice it does have brown rice in it to his credit like oh that's true that's true sometimes other things kind of slip in there right but that's why it's such a big deal of oh my gosh there's a lettuce there's something different on the table I but then of course that makes sense we were shook (laughs) (laughs) okay Another resource I really enjoy are books. Yes. There's one um, series. They have a lot of different representation from like all sorts of um, diverse people in history. So the first ones that I found through there were like all about women in history, in art history. And um They've included more men, but they're all like diverse. It's just, they're all from diverse backgrounds, which is really cool. So I've started collecting all of the art and like architect, um, design, anything that's art related. I have started collecting those books from that series. One of them was I used last year for a lesson was about Zaha Hadid, which was she it was a an architect and my students loved that book and they loved learning about her and they freaked out when I showed them you know her buildings across the world like in real life I showed I like just did a quick google search and like found a bunch of her architect uh architecture and then I asked them to just after we learned about her to design a, just a building that it could be anything that they wanted inspired by like her she was called the queen of curve like inspired by her kind of amorphic like organic kind of shapes shaped buildings and they came up with the coolest stuff I just I loved that and it was such a quick one day project but it could have been I could have expanded on that um So I love using, finding people throughout time, art history in books, whether it's on YouTube, I show them a YouTube video or books. I love using art history to design lessons around. I miss using books. I love using books when I taught elementary. I just think it's such a fun way to connect. I loved reading on the carpet too. And I just love book illustrations I love that I just think they're so fun they're so hands-on and it's such a great way to get kids excited too about reading and then also see the artwork that an artist had to make an author had to write this connect it to an artist a topic a bigger picture I just think books oh I love it I completely forgot about books I just did because I have my book set from elementary I, I couldn't get rid of it I was like I'm gonna figure out how to somehow use these I don't want to get rid of them, 
and I haven't, I'm working on, I use books in a different way in the middle school classroom. It's just different, but I just love K through five elementary books. I love them. Yeah. It's a great resource to, um, to, and there's so many, there's like endless amount of books to look, uh, look for. So I love finding books about inspiring people, whether it's artists or even other topics. Like we did one, I did one last year about Malala and it was actually the, a book that Malala wrote herself and the illustrations are just beautiful in there as well. And so it wasn't like, she's not an artist, but she's done some really inspiring things. And so we used this as a concept to talk about and make art about that concept. So her concept was basically like, um, if you, I asked, I posed the question after reading the book, if you had a pencil, if you had a magic pencil, cause that was the book, if you had a magic pencil, what would you create in the world? And, or what would you want to change about the world? And they created, like, I get chills thinking about it because they created some of the most beautiful, thoughtful, just sweet pieces of the whole experience last year. And I was so proud of that. And it was such a easy lesson. We read the book and I posed the question and I let them create whatever they wanted to create just by posing that one question. And I love that kind of simple lesson, but it's so effective. Mm -hmm. And I want to do more of that. So books are definitely a great resource. As far as inspiration, and I'm inspired by my books, I'm inspired by my students. Um, as far as inspiration, I would say I'm also inspired by nature a lot. And art history is, I think, a part of that too. It really plays a part. So I love, I love looking at nature and using that in like if I were creating a work, I love using that in my work. And so a lot of times if my students, like if I'm creating a, a lesson, I show that type of thing as an example because that is what I'm into. Um, I love organic forms. I love organic colors, like earthy tones and textures and all of that. And so that's something that has always inspired my work, me personally, and also in my teaching. And I also think it's really easy to connect with students about nature because it's something that's really relatable to them. I think nature as a universal topic is something that's overlooked because it is something that we all can connect with in a way, or I guess disconnect if your surroundings are more of an urban population, like cityscape. Uh, but I do think that nature is such a great example or connection point to use for different topics throughout art. You can always pull something that demonstrates symmetry or how do you find balance in this work and talk or not just artwork, but a picture that showcases different land environments and okay, what's the type of balance and how does this work? Or how does it not work? And it is something that's almost immediately around us that I think I do kind of take for granted in a way 
especially with how much we have out here. And I'm so thankful, but my kids really connect with it too. They are much more confident about making a picture with mountains or with trees or something that has nature in it because they see it, they can relate to it, they can understand it. It's not as intimidating in a way, which fascinates me because I, I appreciate nature. I like it and the way it looks, but I gravitate towards humans, people, portraits. And so I have to really work on like shifting my thinking when it comes to the environment and landscapes because my students do connect with it so much. And that's part of the listening to your students piece, you know? And yeah. I think, and as far as nature, I mean, thinking about nature from a culturally responsive lens too would be trying to understand our students relationships with nature have they had access to outdoor spaces have they had out, out access to wild outdoor spaces have they experienced different landscapes or have they always been in this landscape that you know that we're teaching them in and that is something that as far as relatable like we can all relate to what we can just see around us. But as far as our prior experiences, that's something that we need to listen to them about too, to connect with them. Maybe they've had a traumatic experience with something in nature, or maybe, you know, it's like, that's, I mean, that's true for any topic, but it's interesting how I, I automatically assume, oh, I could connect with them about this, but it is important still to listen can I connect with them about this butterfly or is this something that maybe, or can they tell me a story about it or is this not an access point for them? So, cause it made me think about it when you said like your students draw mountains, my, some of my students have probably never seen mountains in real life. So that may not be an access point for them. So you've mentioned, I know the Facebook professional learning community wasn't technically one of your resources, but I think it counts. So you brought that one up, cited your students and nature as your resources, go-to resources. Do you have any others? Books. As we are oh, books. Hello. How do we forget books? Books. Amazing. Uh, do you have any others before we wrap up today's episode? Um, I would say also, I used to really focus on creating a curriculum around the elements of art, but now I'm switching to more of a studio habits of mind objective uh, curriculum. So I would say the studio habits of mind um, from Project Zero, it's a Harvard, yeah. Harvard study. There's a great page on project zero there's a there's a ton of information and resources of activities thinking routines if you look up the um project zero website and it's all research-based and it is awesome there are routines on there that you can do with your students and apply them to like any lesson that you're teaching so I would say that is a great resource that I wish everyone knew about. Did you get that one from our masters? Yeah. I was going to say, I, I when you said that it clicked and I was like, oh yeah, I completely forgot about that one. That is such a good resource. Yeah. There is so much there. It's crazy. Yeah. 
And there's more than not just for art, like there's, it's for other content areas too, but there's, there's a lot for specifically for like fine arts, visual arts. Yeah. I think we've delved into a lot of different resources to cover a really wide range of topics. And this is just what inspires us to create lessons. Hopefully it gives you as a listener some ideas especially if you're interested in these topics uh I can't think of anything else are we missing anything no I think that pretty much sums up like my top few resources I mean a lot (laughs) three we're supposed to have three yeah I think that sums it up for me we'll take away is never stop learning never stop trying to find resources and especially like research-based resources of, you know, new topic. For sure. Follow us on Instagram at those art teachers. And for this episode, you can drop a resource that you really like that really works for you. I would, and I, I mean, I feel like I'm on the same page with Caitlin and sharing with us. We would love for that to happen because we want to know other resources or things that work for you. Yeah. Like we said, we're a work in progress as well. So we are just here to learn. All right. Well, that wraps up today's episode. All of the resources we've talked about today are linked in the description below. So check those out if you're interested. Hopefully you feel inspired. Hopefully you have some new fires lit underneath you in a super positive and healthy way. And (laughs) not wildfires, exciting creative fires. And we'll see you next time. Bye, not bye. Bye, not bye.